Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today to start off. If you've got your Bible, you can meet me there. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1090 in that Bible, Acts chapter 1. We have been in a series called Another Helper, Getting to Know the Holy Spirit, and that really has been our heart for this series. It's just that we would get to know the Holy Spirit better. The Father uh, and the Son in the Trinity are a little bit easier to understand. We can picture the Father on his throne, you know, up in heaven, ruling. That kind of makes sense. And we can picture the Son even more because Jesus walked this earth, and we have this record of what he said and did while he was here. But the Spirit is a bit more mysterious and doesn't usually get the attention that the Father and and the sun do. So we wanted to take some time just to explore him. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? How can we get to know him better, understand him more? It was Valentine's Day a couple of weeks ago. If you didn't know that, you're officially in the doghouse, I imagine, because uh, you're crazy late on that. And Valentine's Day, for some couples, it's a big deal. For some couples, it's not as much a big deal. And this year, Sarah uh, was doing Kids Club on Valentine's Day, and so we celebrated it on a different day. But I was at Shoppers uh, that evening, and it was just packed with husbands who had left it to the last minute, and they were pouring over. There was nothing left, and they were pouring over. There was chocolates, and the greeting card section was just kind of empty, and they were trying to scavenge something so they could go home and bring their wife something for Valentine's Day. And there was one guy there, and he was picking over what was left of the greeting cards, and he just kind of said out loud, I was like, ah, oh, none of these say what I'm really trying to say. And I said, well, you could just write one your, on your own, write your own note. And he went, ha, and turned and walked away. So I don't know how that story ends, but he, he was having a tough time. And Sarah and I uh, don't do Valentine's cards typically because we can't justify $27 for a card that is going to get thrown out. No offense if you work in the greeting card business, but you're robbers and thieves and taking advantage of us. But the reason Hallmark exists is because we, we don't often know what to say with something like love, right? And so Sarah and I will, will just write some our thoughts, but it's certainly not as poetic as Hallmark can do it. And so we lean on cards because they have a way of taking a big, difficult, sort of abstract concept like love, which is so huge. And, and we understand it in the sense of we feel it and we know what it feels like. But sometimes when you're trying to put those feelings into words, it's, it's difficult. And that's okay because Hallmark is there to do it for you, right? And they find a way of, of putting words to things uh, for something that's so big. And often when we talk about love, we lean on metaphors to help us understand it in a better way. Uh, we, we say things like love is like a river or love is like a fire or love is, my love is as big as a mountain. I love you to the moon and back. Like we use these word pictures because love is a bit tough to put into words and metaphors can help us understand great big abstract things. And the Bible is full of metaphor, and when I was in school, I put some of my research, research towards just studying metaphor on how the Bible uses metaphor to take these great, big, huge, sort of abstract concepts of God and heaven and eternity and to use a, a word picture or a parable or a, a simile uh, to take these great, big concepts and just kind of bring them down to earth in a way that is easier to understand. No metaphor perfectly captures uh, these great big concepts, but metaphors can help us 
understand the things of God. And Jesus used them all the time. He talked in parables. He took the principles of the kingdom or the principles of the Father, and he took them, and the way he made those clear was to tell a metaphor, a story that was not really about what was going on, but represented God or represented the kingdom in the way where we would say, well, I, I'm still learning about what God is like. I'm still learning about what the kingdom is like. And it's kind of easy for me to do that because I understand a story that says a sower went to sow some seeds in the field. That takes a big concept and makes it easy for me to understand. And that's one of the things that metaphor does for us. So what we're doing today is we're going to look at a few metaphors that Scripture uses to discuss the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, again, is not maybe the easiest part of God to understand. The Father, we can understand a bit easier. The Son, we can understand a bit easier. But the Spirit's a bit trickier. And so we're going to look at a few metaphors, a few word pictures that Scripture uses to describe the Holy Spirit. Because that's going to help us understand Him. Him a little bit better and get to know him a little bit better. So let's look at our text today. We're in Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're going to jump forward a little bit as we read this. So Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, Luke is writing. Luke has written another book. This is his sequel. Luke's first book is the Gospel of Luke, which he wrote to a man called Theophilus. And now he's writing the book of Acts as the sequel to the Gospel of Luke that he's writing to the same guy. So Acts 1, verse 1, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's jump ahead to Acts chapter 2. Just probably need to flip a page there. Acts chapter 2. So Jesus just said, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is what that looks like in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And as you read more, you'll hear the story of this is really the beginning of the church as we know it. That Jesus has left and Jesus has said, my spirit's going to come and he's going to continue the ministry that I have been doing. And this is kind of the church's birthday, the day of Pentecost, where the spirit comes. And right after this, Peter gets up and he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people get saved. And the mission of God, driven by the Holy Spirit, is well on its way. And there are these pictures in here of, of water and of wind and of fire as it relates to the Holy Spirit that we want to unpack today. Because as we understand a little bit more about those pictures, uh, we're going to understand the Holy Spirit a little bit better. So the first metaphor we're going to look at isn't actually found in that passage we just read, but it's a key one as well. The Holy Spirit in Scripture is sometimes described as a dove. Uh, and often in artwork, that's what he is personified as, right? Because how do you draw an invisible, mysterious spirit? And so often throughout the ages, in, in medieval artwork, even up to today, when the Holy Spirit is being discussed or demonstrated in art, he's often as a, as a dove, literally, as a bird, is the picture that is given. And that comes from the Gospels. It's in This version is Luke chapter 3. says that Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his ministry, and as he was praying, heaven was open. 
opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And so this is Jesus starting his ministry for the first time. He's been under the radar his whole life, and now his ministry is officially beginning. And it's a really cool picture, because there is Jesus the Son in the water. There is the Holy Spirit coming as a dove. And then the heavens are open, and the Father speaks from heaven. So there's Father, Son, and Spirit all coming together in this one moment. And Jesus never does a thing in his life for the kingdom of God until this moment when the Holy Spirit comes. And once the Holy Spirit has come, that's when Jesus goes. And that's when he starts teaching, and that's when he starts preaching, that's when he starts healing and driving out demons. But he waits until the Spirit comes, and then he goes and launches his ministry. And so the Spirit is personified as a dove in this story. And this is one of the few stories that actually shows up in all four Gospels. Each Gospel tends to emphasize different things. But in each of the four Gospels, it talks about at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit coming like a dove. Uh, and that is the picture. And it is a bit of a weird picture because doves are not particu particularly glorious or majestic birds, right? They're kind of viewed as pests in some ways. And I, I was saying in the first service, we used to have doves that sat on the, the telephone line near our house, and they just pooped on our cars just nonstop. Like, these are not beautiful birds in that sense. So why a dove? Of all the animals or all the birds that God could choose to represent his spirit, why a dove of all things? And Many theologians land on this, and I think it's very true that there is something about the dove that represents kind of innocence and purity. Uh, there's especially a white dove kind of has that picture, and sometimes we release doves at a wedding or at a funeral because they do have that picture of innocence and purity. And the Holy Spirit's name is the Holy Spirit, and there's something about the dove that points to that holiness, that purity, that innocence, that that there is something about God that is very pure and very righteous, and the dove is a good picture of that. But still, at the same time, it doesn't seem to represent God that well. Like, what about a screaming eagle, right? Majestic and glorious, flying in the sky. Of all the, the animals you could pick, like if Jesus was at his baptism, then he just heard, ah, and something came down. That was not a great eagle scream, admittedly. <laughs> Why isn't God like a squawking crow? Um, the eagle just has this picture, right, of, of majesty. It's a symbol of America. Like, it's, it's the animal they chose to represent patriotism, and there's something to it. And God doesn't go that route. When it comes time for something to give us a picture of what the Holy Spirit is like, uh, he goes with the dove, this very common, very just ordinary, very everyday bird. But I think that's part of it. Because when Jesus came, he didn't come in an overly majestic or overly glorious way, right? He was born like anyone else is born, but he was born in a stable. He laid in a manger. He grew up as a peasant and, and just had kind of a normal, common life. He was just a, a worker and, and just went about his life as a carpenter's son until he launched his ministry. And, and even then, like, he wasn't looking for fame or money or prestige. He wandered the countryside. Like, he lived this very humble, very ordinary life. He came, actually, in a very unlikely way. The king of glory could have come in glory and majesty, but Jesus chooses this very humble, unassuming way to approach us. And so how cool is it that when the Holy Spirit shows up, the Holy Spirit also comes in a very humble, very sort of common, unassuming way. 
that just as Jesus has this humble presentation to us when God is coming near us, the Holy Spirit also has this very humble presentation as just a common dove. This, this is more common bird with no majesty or glory to it whatsoever. That's how he chooses to represent himself to us. I think that's very telling. Uh, that when God comes near us in Jesus and in the Spirit, uh, it is with this very humble kind of gentle approach. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there is teaching out there, and part of it, they'll call upon this picture of the dove, and they will say the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, because uh, doves are gentle, right? You can scare doves away really easily, and, and so the dove is gentle, and the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And there is truth in that, in the sense of the Holy Spirit won't force us to do anything, uh, people sometimes come to me when we talk about this topic and they say, I don't want to speak in tongues. And I say, well, then don't. You don't have to. You don't have to do anything. So the Spirit will not force us to do things. But let's be careful about using the phrase, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman, because the Holy Spirit is fully God Almighty. And we read this week in our, in our reading plan about Ananias and Sapphira. Ask them how much of a gentleman the Holy Spirit is when he showed up in their life. And we're going to talk about that as we move through the metaphors. There's another element to this for us to consider. Galatians 5.25 says that since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since the Spirit is in us, the Holy Spirit has come to us, let's keep in step with the Spirit. I actually think that's one of the toughest things for us to do as followers of Jesus. The toughest part isn't always determining what direction do I need to go. The toughest part sometimes is determining what is the timing by which I am to walk that out. Because if we believe the Spirit is God, and if we believe, like we talked about last week, that the Spirit does things for us and helps us by guiding us and showing us the right way to go and leading us into truth and showing us the right direction, all those things are true. And if the Spirit has come to help us in those ways, then this verse is probably pretty important. If the Spirit has come to walk with us, how do I in my life keep in step with Him? And I think there's two general tendencies for us. One is that we go too fast. We charge ahead of him. We don't want to wait. And we say, let's just get it done. And we, we don't necessarily wait for him. And the other extreme is to say, you know what? My life's really comfortable, and I like things the way they are, and I don't want to change anything, and I don't want to move whatsoever. And meanwhile, the Spirit's wanting to go over there, and we're just too comfortable to do anything. And there's a picture of the dove there. If you picture like Jesus, this travel mug is going to be the, the dove today because I'm showing it off because you really want one, visitors. Go get one at the hub after the service. But if the dove comes and rests symbolically like he did on Jesus, like how am I going to have to live my life? How am I going to have to walk to make sure that dove is there and I'm in step with him? Right? Because if I charge ahead, he's taken off. And if I just sit here and don't do anything, after a while, he's going to get bored, and he's going to take off. So how do I keep it? Like, how do I measure my life and say it's not just about, you know, what do I need to do and what direction do I need to go, but how do I stay in God's perfect timing? How do I make sure I'm not running ahead of the Spirit? How do I make sure I'm not lagging behind the Spirit? As I said, I think that's a tough thing to do. But as we consider this verse, keeping in step with the Spirit, that picture of the dove, I think, is a good one. Because it, at the very least, it's going to ensure that I walk very carefully and prayerfully. And hopefully, you know, taking good consideration. I'm not just charging ahead and doing my own thing. I'm not just sitting around because I like what's comfortable and I don't want things to change. But I'm actually seeking the Spirit. Where do I go and when 
and how am I going to get there? So in that sense, the Spirit is like a dove as well. Let's keep going. The Holy Spirit is like fire. It's a metaphor used in Scripture as well. In our passage today, Acts chapter 2, verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost that separated and came to rest on each of them. Uh, not literal fire, and, and no one's getting hurt in this passage, whether it's a vision or at least a, uh, something happening in the spiritual realm. There's this appearance of fire as the Spirit comes and fills each one, and the fire lands on each one there. And so the Spirit in Scripture is sometimes personified as fire as well. And that's a bit of a theme throughout all of Scripture, that God in general is often personified as fire. Moses sees him as a burning bush in a famous story in Scripture, and God is in the fire speaking to him. Hebrews 12, 29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. If you read through the Psalms, it talks about the fire that goes before him and, and melts his enemies. And there's always this picture of God as fire from the beginning of Scripture to the end. And, and when Jesus is seen in Revelation, his eyes blaze like fire. These are all throughout Scripture uh, that God is kind of this fiery presence. And so how is the Holy Spirit like fire? Well, often in Scripture, the fire comes to, to refine. The fire comes to purify, and there's this picture uh, in the prophets of God as the refining fire, that we all have faults and impurities in our life, we all have sin, and God puts fire to it, and when you put fire to metal, the, it melts and becomes liquid, and the impurities rise to the top so that they can be removed, and God comes to do that for us. As much as he loves us just the way we are, he loves us too much for us to stay the way we are. He wants the sin gone. And he wants us to be more holy. And so the Holy Spirit comes to make us more holy. He comes to purify and to cleanse us. Often what he uses to purify and cleanse us is trials and difficulties. And these things come and they actually cause our faults and impurities to show up in new ways where they can be dealt with and forgiven and where we can heal from these things and move on. But the fire, it's not always a pleasant process, right? Fire, when you touch it, is hot. Uh, and, but the Holy Spirit comes to purify and to cleanse us. He also comes as fire in the sense that he comes to draw us closer to Jesus. And we often use language of fire when we're talking about love, right? To burn with passion or to burn with desire uh, or to burn with excitement. And, and we use that kind of fire metaphor language. There's a story in the Gospels of after the resurrection, there's disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And they see Jesus who has been resurrected, but they don't know that it's him yet. And he walks with them and he explains the scriptures to him about who the Messiah is. And when he finally reveals himself and says, hey, it was me, Jesus, the whole time, these guys look at each other and say, ah, oh, weren't our hearts burned? burning within us when he shared the scriptures with us. John Wesley, a famous theologian, went to a church one night. He wasn't a Christian, and he heard the sermon, and he got saved that night, and he said, oh, my heart felt strangely warmed as the scriptures were shared and as the gospel was shared that night. And so we use this fire imagery sometimes to talk about love or devotion or passion, and the Spirit comes to do that. He wants you head over heels in love with and on fire for Jesus. That is his desire. And if we're in a place where we feel like, oh, that fire's kind of gone out. I had that at one point, and now I just feel like I'm kind of doing church or, or doing Christianity. I've lost some of the passion. The Holy Spirit can come and reignite that fire. He wants us to be loving Jesus and walking with him. The Holy Spirit's also like fire in the sense of it is an incredibly helpful thing that we have. We talked last week about all the things the Spirit does to help us. 
Uh, and so, you know, we don't do it literally this way anymore, but in the sense where fire can keep us warm and fire can cook our food, uh, you know, we need fire. We can't live without it, and we use electricity and other things now, but we need fire in that sense. At the same time as well, fire is to be revered and feared. It's not just there to help because we believe the Holy Spirit is Almighty God, and we need to be a bit careful just in our church culture that as much as we emphasize God's love and his grace and his forgiveness, which is absolutely true and absolutely good, that we don't lose his holiness and his majesty and his glory, that we don't lose that side of it, because both are absolutely true. In these days in churches, we seem to lean a lot more towards grace uh, and not nearly as much on holiness, and we need both together. And so like a fire you need to be careful with, it's never a good idea to get flippant or careless with a fire. We don't want to get flippant or careless with the Holy Spirit because as much as he comes to help us, he is also almighty God. He is also filled with glory and majesty. He is also to be revered and respected, uh, even as he comes close to us in intimacy as well. One more way in which the Holy Spirit's like a fire, fire wants to spread. Fire doesn't want to stay in one place. As long as there's fuel, as long as there's rooms, fire naturally wants to spread. And the Holy Spirit in you wants to spread. He's not coming just to help you. He wants to get out. The Spirit in you wants out, and he wants to spread the gospel, and he wants to encourage people, and he wants to use your gifts to bless people. The Spirit in you is desiring to spread out of your life into other peoples, into the lost and broken world that we live in. The Spirit wants to spread. And the New Testament uses the language of, so don't quench that fire. Don't put it out. Because if fire naturally wants to go, if fire naturally wants to move, if fire naturally wants to spread, that also means that if it's not spreading in my life, it's probably because I'm holding it down. I'm not letting it out. The Holy Spirit in you wants to literally take over the whole planet. Jesus was pretty clear about that. God wants all of it redeemed and saved and restored. And so the Spirit in you wants to spread like a fire, and we need to let him do that. And when we don't, either because we're not praying for it or because we won't share the gospel or we won't serve other people or whatever, then it's not that we're not saved, it's not that we're not going to heaven, but there is a fire in us that starts to die down at that point. And when we start sharing the gospel and when we start serving other people and when we start using our gifts, that fire starts to spread, and that's what it wants to do. The Holy Spirit in you wants to get out. And in that sense, the Spirit is like a fire. The Spirit's also like water. Jesus says you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit at the beginning of our passage today, that we do baptisms here. There's a tank uh, behind this panel here, and we are baptized in water. Every believer is called to do this. There is a, a symbol and a ceremony where we are dunked in water, and it's a symbol of our sins being washed away. It's a symbol of our devotion to Jesus. And Jesus, one of his last words before he left heaven is that symbol in water that you guys are familiar with, that's what God wants to do in the Holy Spirit for you. That just like you're dunked in water and it just the water washes over you and you're completely wrapped up in it and the water covers every part of you, you're just immersed in water. That's what God wants you to have in the Holy Spirit, where you are just immersed in him, full to overflowing, completely wrapped up in who he is. It's this picture of water and getting dunked in water. It says that's what God wants for you, that the Holy Spirit is something to be experienced and lived with and lived out. And there's these water metaphors. We've been touching on some of them throughout the series. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, water metaphor. 
uh, that just like a glass is filled or a well is filled, that we need to be filled, that we can't do this on our own, but the Spirit comes to fill us. And we talked about this phrase especially means to be continually filled, not just a one-time thing, not just something that happens on Sunday morning, but to be continually filled with the Spirit. Uh, we've just read Acts chapter 2 where they're baptized in the Spirit in the story, but that's not the end of it. All throughout the book of Acts, they go back and they look for more. And they say, come Holy Spirit, and move through us. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. Uh, so continually be filled with the Spirit like water. 1 Corinthians 2.13, we were all given one Spirit to drink. Water metaphor. Here's Jesus in John's Gospel, John chapter 7. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So just so there's no confusion about the metaphor, John just tells us, he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. And so are you thirsty, Jesus says, come and drink. Is your life dry? Come and drink. And if you believe in me, there will be living water, not like a stagnant pond, but moving, refreshing, life-giving water will not just be there for you, but just like the fire, that water wants to move. That water wants to spread. That water wants to get out. And as you walk with me and you're filled with me, the Holy Spirit in you wants to get out and bless other people, wants to get out and share the gospel, wants to get out and be an encouragement, wants to get out and help and serve and love and bless. The Spirit in you wants out because rivers of living water want to be moving. When we were in Sudbury, we had a, an issue one time where we had a, a water main that took water away from the building but there had been so much rain and there was flooding that it started to back up, actually. Uh, this happened in Windsor, I think, a few months ago. And so water was starting to trickle the wrong way. You're like, wow, water's not supposed to be here. And so I was in my office one day and I could hear this trickling water. And that, if you've, like, that's a terrifying sound when there's supposed to be no trickling water, right? Like when you're inside, you're not supposed to hear that noise. And so I went and I found it and there was this kind of utility room with a furnace and everything. And it was just a trickle at this point, but water was trickling in uh, from this pipe and it was starting to, to soak the floor. And so another pastor came to help me. And so I'm mopping like crazy to kind of stay on top of it. And he had buckets and he was trying to catch the water and run and dump it. And the secretary was calling trustees to come and help save the day because I don't know what I'm doing in this situation. So mopping's really good for me because that I can do. And so I'm there and we're doing this. And we're just trying to stay on top of it. And the water's starting to come in faster. And one of the trustees showed up and, and he couldn't really do a lot because there wasn't room for many people in this room. But he was just kind of watching and assessing. And so as we're struggling and I'm starting to sweat and the other pastor's running these buckets of water, he's just kind of watching and he says, boy, you can't stop water. <laughs> he says, when water's on the move, he says, you can redirect it, you can dam it up for a while, but when water is moving, you just can't stop water. And I'm going, thank you, Dan, that's very helpful in this moment. And the trustees got there and they found a way with foam and different things to block it. So everything was fine and then we fixed it long term. So no big disaster that day, but there was something about that phrase that has stuck with me, obviously. This was years ago. This idea that water wants to move. And once water is moving, like it, it doesn't naturally stop unless we stop it. Right? It naturally wants to keep going. And so, again, the spirit in you doesn't just come for you. The spirit in you wants to burn like fire, wants to spread like fire, wants to flow out of you like rivers of living water. And we can certainly stop that from happening. But life is better when we let that happen. Because that's what he wants to do. That's what we were built for. 
was to be vessels that the Spirit could move through. And so the Spirit is like water in that way as well. Last one, and then we're done. The Holy Spirit is like wind. Acts 2, 2, suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind comes from heaven on the day of Pentecost. It fills the whole house. There's this sound and apparently sensation of wind. There is something that they experience uh, that is very, very profound. And Jesus would talk about wind as well as it relates to the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. For those of us who walk in the Spirit, this is what life is like because this is what the Holy Spirit is like. And there is this picture there of, of just the, the majesty of who the Holy Spirit is, right? The wind blows wherever it wants. We can't control that. And likewise, the Spirit blows wherever he wants. We can't control him because he's God and we're not. And there's an element of the wind that is mysterious. We, we can hear it. We don't know where it's going. Like you've been outside, like the wind can change directions, and, and we weren't expecting it. It can be a gentle breeze that all of a sudden is a huge wind that we didn't know was coming. We don't really know where exactly it's coming from. And, uh, and there's an element of that we know more now just because of, of meteorology than Jesus' time. But, uh, but still, there's an element of the wind that is mysterious, and there will be an element of the Spirit that is mysterious. Because the, the wind does what it does, and we're not in charge of it. The Spirit has the right to do whatever he wants, because he is God, and we are not. And often throughout the ages, uh, just as the Spirit is sometimes personified as a dove, the church in art is often personified as a ship. And that makes sense if the Spirit is the wind, right? The Spirit is setting the direction. The Spirit is supplying the power. The ship's job, it can't cross the ocean by itself. Uh, it has no power on its own in the days of sailing ships. And so this, the ship's job is to catch the wind and, and figure out where the wind is going and turn the sails in the right direction. And then the wind does the work to get the ship across the sea. It's this great picture of the Spirit and the church and the Spirit and us as individuals that we can't supply the power on our own and we can't supply the direction on our own. We can't cross the ocean on our own. We need the Spirit to do that for us. The Spirit's job is to blow the direction like the wind. Our job is to catch that wind and, and figure out a way to keep in step with the Spirit. And so the wind is the one that does the work, and our job is to go with the flow of what the Spirit is doing. Like wind as well, sometimes wind can come as just a gentle breeze. Sometimes the wind can come as hurricane force wind. And uh, you've heard me say before, I get a bit nervous uh, whenever someone says, you know, God is like this, just period. Uh, and it's not that I don't believe their statements like that, but I just think God is so complicated that sometimes he comes in different ways to us, and he's never going to come in a way that's inconsistent with his word. But sometimes God comes very gently, and sometimes God comes like a force. Sometimes a wind can be a nice breeze, and sometimes it can be this big, huge thing, and we can't control the wind or put it in a box, and we cannot control the Holy Spirit or put him in a box. It's not our job to control him. It's our job to get on his page with what he's doing. It's our job to get in his direction. It's our job to get in his timing. It's our job to get in his ways. And so he comes like the wind, and our job is to catch that wind and, and figure out what that looks like. Jesus says, you don't know where the wind comes from or where it's going. Again, we know a bit more in our day and age than they knew in his time. But there is an element of the wind that is mysterious, and there is an element of the Spirit, I think, that will always be mysterious. Uh, I think as long as we are mortals on this earth doing our best to comprehend an immortal, invisible, ultimate, omniscient, omnipotent God— there will be parts that we just don't understand. There will be parts that will be mysterious in this life. However, 
that should never be an excuse for us to just go, well, God's mysterious. What are you going to do? Because he has revealed himself to us in Jesus, and he's revealed himself to us in his word. And although he is mysterious at times, we still want to keep seeking and, and, and learning and pressing in to know him better. And even though we don't know where the wind comes from or why it comes the way it comes and what direction it's going to be or in, in what intensity it's going to come, even though we can't see the wind because it's invisible, we can see the evidence of the wind when it's there, right? We can feel that. I know what a breeze feels like, and I can see the grass shaking, and I can see the trees bending, right? We see the evidence of the wind, even if the wind itself is a bit mysterious and invisible. And we can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work, even though he is un invisible and maybe at times a bit mysterious, that we can see the favor of God. We can see the fruit in people's lives. We can see the answers to prayer. You know, we can see the evidence that the Spirit is at work. And so let's not ever let it become an excuse where we just say, well, it's unknowable, so forget about it. Because God has revealed himself to us in Jesus and by his word and by his spirit. And so we can take comfort in the fact that we might not always understand everything, but let's never get lazy in that where we just stop trying. Because I just so badly want to know Jesus better. I so badly want to know him more. I so badly want to understand his word better. And, and as we're going through this series, that is just my sense of what the Lord is saying to us. It's just there's more, guys. There's more, there's more, there's more, there's more than we know yet. There's more than we've experienced. And it's there if we're willing to press in for it and seek him out in it. We're just about done here this morning. We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. And if you have any questions about the sermon, comments, if you want to keep talking about it or, or go a little bit deeper, uh, that email address is there. And we're happy to take the time to answer that. So the Holy Spirit is like a dove. The Holy Spirit is like fire. The Holy Spirit is like wind. The Holy Spirit is like water. None of these are a perfect picture of who he is. No metaphor is. Metaphors kind of give us a snapshot. But each of these tell us something about what he is. And none of these stand alone either. It's not just that the Holy Spirit is like a gentle dove uh, who doesn't force us to do anything. He is that while simultaneously being a burning fire that wants to spread, that is to be revered and feared. It is both together. He's not just like water that refreshes us and, and gives us hope on a, a dry and, and dusty day. He is also like a wind that can be powerful, that is directing us the way he wants us to go. It's not any of these on their own. It is all of them together. Even all of them together are not all the metaphors that we find about the Holy Spirit in Scripture, but these things hopefully uh, will give us a bit more of an understanding of who he is. And as we've been saying throughout this whole series, it starts for all of us just with this prayer, come, Holy Spirit. And I hope you're praying that with us, where we just say, come, I want to know you better. I don't know you as well as I would like. I need to understand more. I want to experience you more. The book of Acts is not just a history book for us. It shows us what does a spirit-filled and spirit-led church look like. There's more. So we want to worship a bit before we go, and then we'll pray to wrap up. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, that is our prayer. And as we have sung this morning, as we call upon the Lord as we confess how much we need you, as we express our desire, Holy Spirit, to be filled and to know you better and to have you walk with us in our lives. Lord, hear our prayers as we have cried out to you as a church this morning. Hear us, Lord, and open up our eyes. Help us to understand. Help us to see you at work. 
Help us to not put out the fire or stop up the water that wants to flow. Help us to walk in step with you, Lord, in your will and in your ways. And Holy Spirit, would you kindle that fire in us? Would you ignite in us again just fresh passion for Jesus, fresh desire for your words and to walk in your ways in obedience to you? Purify us, Lord, like a fire. Refresh us like water. Direct us like the wind. Come upon us and walk with us like the dove. Show us who you are and help us to live this out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.